You have come to a place of darkness where evil creatures lurk in the dark corners of the room waiting to pounce on their victims. Beware, beware, beware. Seattle, Washington comes the band The Delstroyers. This song is Reaper Madness. It's on their album. Here come The Delstroyers. You can find them at thedelstroyers.com or look them up on Bandcamp or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's the website for well, Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Big thanks to the Delstroyers for letting us play their music on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. And if you like what you hear, you can hear them live in June, June 25th. They're playing at Daryl's Tavern in Shoreline, Washington with the bands DJ Noose, The Verb, and Acapulco Lips. Or stick around because at the end of the show, we'll be playing the song in its entirety. Welcome to the show. This week on Monster Kid Radio, we've got Stephen D. Sullivan coming back. Now, if you're friends with Steve on Facebook, or I think he does it on LinkedIn. I don't know if he's on Google+. Plus, But I know on Facebook he posts a lot about his upcoming project, Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. Now, this is going to be a novel that is written for us monster kids. Steve has a couple of different reasons that he's writing this book, and we're going to go over that with him here. In fact, a couple of months back, he talked a little bit about this on Facebook, and I wanted to give him an opportunity to get more in-depth. And it turns into a fun conversation about what us monster kids are looking for in modern media. When it comes to modern films, modern literature, what are we looking for as monster kids? Well, Steve aims to deliver, and we're going to talk about that in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. We're also going to hear from an upcoming guest Ken Blows called with some comments on last week's episode where we talked about the movie The Robbery of the Mummies of Guanajuato, a Mil Moskris monster movie. He has some thoughts about that. You know what? Why don't we get to that voicemail first? Let's do that right now. Hey, Derek. This is Kenny in Mexico giving you some feedback on the uh, wrestling program you did uh, last week with a movie about Mil Moskris, which was a great show. You guys sound like you had a lot of fun. I just wanted to uh, mention something. I don't think you guys talked about uh, what Mil Mascaris, what his name actually means. In Spanish, that actually means a thousand masks. So uh, he was known to uh, change his mask during his career. And, uh, you know, you never know what mask they have. Sometimes you have a mask underneath the mask, so they take off a mask and you have a night mask underneath it. So they called him a thousand masks was his name. And I thought to uh, throw in another interesting story about uh, uh, Luchadora's name, uh, Blue Demon. I always wondered, what was that about? Why is this technical, this good guy wrestler, called a demon and in, in, in English? And the thing is, I heard this story from Blue Demon Jr. When uh, Blue Demon was first going to wrestle, he was going to wrestle actually in Texas. And um, his mask had like little diamonds on it. Uh, the shape on the, around the eyes was like a diamond shape. So he was going to be called the Blue Diamond. Well, when they gave that uh, note to the announcer in the ring... Um, he read it as if he was reading Spanish. And the letter I, when he saw that, he was pronounced as you do in Spanish, which is the E sound. So he said, the blue demon, and it stuck. So he's not really a demon. <laughs> he was actually a diamond, but that name stuck, and we still have blue demon up till today. So I thought that would be interesting news. I'm looking forward to being with you on the Monster Kid Radio, talking about Santo versus the Martian invasion. And you have a great week. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. The downside to talking about a movie that you know and love with somebody else who loves the movie as much as you do is that sometimes some of the basics get dropped. We kind of take for granted little bits and pieces here along the way. And I'm sure that's what happened with the story about Mil Mascaris and his masks. I knew that that meant thousand masks and I've seen him change his mask out. I believe there's a movie it might even be champions of justice where he faces the camera, takes off one mask, puts another one on in one smooth motion. You never see his face. 
it's pretty darn cool. Uh, the Mil Mascaris movie that came out in 2007, Mil Mascaris versus the Aztec Mummy, every scene he's wearing a different mask. Not every shot, that would be weird. But every scene he's wearing a different mask. But you can always tell it's him because it's always got that stylized M right there on the forehead of the mask. Mil Mascaris, my man. And as much as I love Milascris, and I say he's my number one guy, Blue Demon's kind of my number two. I really love Blue Demon's work as well. And I didn't know that about Blue Demon, actually. I didn't know that that's how he got his name. Pretty cool. And you're right. You know, I never really thought about it, Blue Demon being a technical, yet he's called a demon. Now, is Blue Demon Jr. considered a technico? I wonder. Or is he considered a Rudo? Technicos being good guy, Rudo being bad guys when it comes to Lucha Libre. I've seen Blue Demon Jr. wrestle on shows like Lucha Underground, but I mean, he kind of goes both ways. You know what? We're going to talk to Ken about that when we have him on the show. I'll make it a point to ask him about Blue Demon Jr. And, of course, we're going to talk about Santo versus the Martian Invasion, which is such a fun luchador film starring Santo. It might be sacrilege to say that I like Nomascris and Blue Demon over Santo, but you know what? I love Santo, too. And I love it when people call in. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. I'll go over that again at the end of the show, as well as our email address and a few other bits and pieces. But that'll be after I talk to Steve about his upcoming project, Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. And we're going to get to that right after I spin a couple of trailers and promos. Journey into double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. Huh, that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Meet the slave girls on the moon, enslaved to every cruel desire of an evil madman. You have been imprisoned for having flown through the forbidden stars. Prisoner will receive a minimum of 64 years. 64 years? What about my life? The personal life is dead on the moon. Brutalized and <laughs> savaged by creatures who are only half men. How was your first night, Chloe? Did you sleep well? Yes, I did. Strange. No one ever sleeps well here at Beswick. <laughs> And women who are more than all women. Now, remove your garments. Right now? Don't be shy. You're among friends. Now, only one woman can rescue them from the warden who maims tender bodies for his own selfish ends. Do you know what the warden's nickname for me is? Chopstick! <gasps> A talent show? Yeah. The show will be 
are covered. Well, half of us rehearsed, the other half will be digging beneath the stage. The warden will kill us all dead. Who is in my office? Yeah, suppose I tell the warden about this plan. Then I'll whoop your ass. But I sure as hell am not gonna die 100,000 years after I'm supposed to. We're not gonna let any of you out of our sight from now on. Even in the showers? Especially in the showers. This summer, get ready. Women, pineapples, catfights, golden suits, thousands in the cast, millions in the making. Slay girls on the moon. Suggestion for mature audiences. It's gonna be awesome. Listeners, one of the benefits, I suppose you could say, of being good friends with a writer is that you oftentimes get to hear about the various projects they're working on before they're announced to the general public. And I know that Steve's been excited about writing his own Monster Rally story. Well, it's been a while now. Some that we, you know, and I've been talking about in our secret Facebook group and a few other places <laughs> for a while and you know, for, for, for months, really. I mean, when did you Well, first... I bought the, the URL for it mm-hmm. over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. But I only really started writing it in, in terms of chapters within the last month. Yeah, so we've been talking about this for a while. And what we've been talking about is Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. And you can go and hook up with my Patreon, in which it will be featured soon at CushingHorrors.com. I wanted to give Steve a chance to talk a little bit more in depth about it here on the show. Like I said before, we've been talking a little bit about it off and on. It gets mentioned. We mentioned the URL, but I really wanted to kind of dive a little deeper than normal. And I I wanted to use as a jumping off point, some things that he's been posting on Facebook. Now, as of this recording, he's only posted five, unless there's been one that was posted this morning before I logged in. No. Five reasons why he's writing Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. And if it's okay with you, Steve, I'd like to go through these with you and just kind of get more in depth with them. Is that all right? As long as you have them in front of you, because I, do. I don't. <laughs> I do. I'm prepared. <laughs> all right. So reason number one, why is he writing Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors? Because he likes a good old-fashioned monster rally in the tradition of the universal classics and hammer horror cycles. The world needs more good monster rallies, and nobody seems to be making these films nowadays. So... I love these classic monster movies. I really do. And I love discovering a new one. But you're right. The era of the classic monster rally and even in some regards, the classic monster movie, it's no longer here. Right. And and when I say classic, I am talking about uh, both the universal classic horror days and also the Hammer classic horror days. And I, I know that we are getting occasional movies that are have more than one monster in them. Nowadays, uh, there was the Mummy versus Frankenstein, I think, sure. recently, mm-hmm. uh, and Frankenstein's Army. You could say has has more than one monster and that kind of stuff. There, are, there are some of those films, but honestly, they're kind of, in my opinion, they're a little more gore centric than they need to be, and maybe a little less centered on the story. They're a little more centered on the special effects, and centered on the special effects is a problem that I have whether it's gore effects or CGI or whatever, is a problem that I have with monster movies in general over the last few decades. And, uh, you know, I know there's, for instance, there are, there are a lot of monsters in Van Helsing, and there's a lot of cool things in Van Helsing in terms there of monsters. Are? But, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's the werewolf lady, and there's the, you know... Kate Beckinsale's corset. Kate Beckinsale's corset, you cannot <laughs> overlook, and... There's the Frankenstein monster design is kind of cool. Some of the things about Van Helsing, the ingredients are there. The ingredients are all there, but they don't really hang together. And in some ways, that's the one that's been closest to the old monster movies. But it's way too frenetic, and it's not nearly concentrated enough on the characters. And other ones that have been kind of in that genre have been more about, you know, ripping people's guts out and, and that kind of stuff. The spectacle of it. You know, the exploiting the spectacle of it. and The grand guignol mm-hmm. of it. Which has its place for some people. But, Absolutely. You know, you don't see that in some of the classic stuff. I mean, I feel like you know, with Steve, the modern monster movies, as fun as some of them might be, you lose the actual story. 
they've been taken over by gore fests. Yeah. And I, I like the occasional gore fest, you know, certainly, uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow is a hoot and that kind of stuff. But, but there's also a place for stuff that's a little, a little creepier, a little more considered, a little more hammer or a little more universal than it is Herschel Gordon Lewis. Right. Now, this is actually something Steve and I, I'm not going to say we argued, but we did kind of go back and forth on it when he first posted this. It's like, well, you know, there are some people making some movies like Christopher R. Mim or Joshua Kennedy. Yes. So I, I do want to just say that I didn't think, even though Steve and I kind of went back and forth on it, I never thought that Steve was saying, well, nobody's doing it. It's just that right. we don't have these monster rallies where you get them all together and just have a fun time. Right. I yeah, love the, Mim's movies, but if he made a monster I, I rally movie, man, Mim's I'd be all there. And I, I, love Joshua Kennedy's movies yes, too. He's great. And they are movies in the classic monster vein. Sure. Sometimes they've got a little more tongue in cheek than the classic monsters, but mostly they're loving homages they really to are. the work. And I, I appreciate that and I, I love that and I want people doing more of that. Absolutely. But when I was looking at you know, when you and I were discussing this and I was looking at, at Christopher's films and I was looking at Joshua's films specifically, and there are others too. Generally, they don't have more than one monster in it. I think the closest we get to in Mim's movies is House of Ghosts. And even in that case, without spoiling it, it's not really more than one monster. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, exactly. So. Exactly. And there have been occasional other ones. But I feel like there's a, a gap that there's a, a market for. And certainly in my heart, there's a market for kind of more old school, mm -hmm. you know, and that's not to say that, you know, that people aren't necessarily going to have sex or that there aren't going to necessarily be deaths and that kind of stuff in Dr. Cushing, but it's going to be more along the lines of what you saw in your Karloff and Lugosi movies and your, your Cushing and Lee movies and your Vincent Price movies than it is going to be Halloween 10 or that kind of stuff. It's, it's a story that's much more influenced by the older films than by the post-slasher era films. I think that's a, a good way to put it. And based on what I've seen, yeah, I, I tell you, listeners, it is. Well, Steve continued the next day he posted why he's writing Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. Reason number two, because he got concerned about the quote-unquote universal monster universe concept. Yes to a series of connected monster films. No to making them like superheroes. He says he can do it better. So he's going to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I've been a monster kid my whole life. And so I grew up on the Universal films and then the Hammer films after that. I, you know, I'm not old enough to have seen any of them in their first runs. Well, the Hammers I could have, but I, wasn't, I w even wasn't quite old enough for that. So the idea of taking the classic Universal monsters and making them more like superheroes is just... I have a, a real problem with that. Again, you know, when we were watching Dracula... Untold is untold, right? The recent Dracula film. Right. Which was going to be part of the cycle, but then not, and then they decided that they can't, whatever, yeah. Right, yeah. Originally, that was going to be their launch for the new thing. And while it had a lot of cool things in it, and as a standalone movie, I like it. The idea that that was going to be the springboard for this and that we were going to have a universe in which somehow the rest of the monsters were going to have to compete with, and I know I've famously mentioned this before, the army-destroying fist of bats. <laughs> Where do you go from there? You know, I mean, is the creature from the Black Lagoon going to have the army-destroying mega piranha swarm? How, how is that going to work? Okay, it just didn't to seem be fair... I would totally watch a movie called The Gill Man's Mega Destroy Army Destroying <laughs> Piranha Storm. I don't know. Sci-fi, get on that. <laughs> <laughs> and they will. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, those can be fun to watch individually, but as the basis for a, a film going forward, it just doesn't work for me. And the actually, I was talking about some people online. I don't remember if it was Monster Kid Radio or the B Movie Cast or somewhere on the Facebook groups about the Dracula story, and I have, a, I have a problem with turning Dracula into a sympathetic hero. I mean, I know that since Dan Curtis did his Dracula with Jack Palance, 
in which he basically took the elements of the Barnabas Collins character that had been so successful on Dan Curtis's own Dark Shadows and transported those into Dracula, being the Dracula is uh, a man from another time and he's looking for his lost love. He's a bad guy, but he's kind of cursed as well and much more sympathetic. Of all the horror stories ever told, one towers above them all. The original masterpiece of the macabre. The undeniable terror of Bram Stoker's Dracula. its shadow of darkness across Europe to Victorian England. A terrifying love story that reaches back into the dead past. A nightmare that stalks through the centuries to embrace the living. Can't you at least tell me something? If the cause of your fiancé's affliction is what I think it is. Then beside it, the most venomous serpent in the world would seem a plaything for children. No, you're dead. storyline has basically propagated throughout the Dracula stories to the point where it's now like people think that's part of the original book almost, and it's totally not. Totally not. You know, I mean, if we go from Pelaz Dracula to the Langella Dracula, who may not have that lost love thing, but is a much sexier Dracula who's maybe, maybe worth getting bitten by, and then from there to the uh, the Coppola Dracula, where again we've suddenly got this ancient prince with the lost love story. It just keeps going, and Dracula should be a bad guy, you know. Yeah. The monster that we have that has traditionally been the, a good guy in one side, and the monster otherwise is the the werewolf character, the Wolfman character, and I'm fine with that. But I don't think we need all the monsters to be sympathetic, and I don't think we need all the monsters to be romantic, and and certainly all the monsters don't need to be heroic. So I'm hoping with the Dr. Cushing novel and then the, the follow-ups I hope to do to let the monsters be monsters and let the people be people. Right. And there will be some crossover between the two of them as there naturally should be but uh we don't need to have uh frankenstein and the mummy and the creature teaming up to fight iron man and the wasp and (laughs) the black panther (laughs) so my understanding of the dracula untold film is that it was in the works before universal decided to do the, the mashup then they kind of shoehorned a scene at the end of the film to make it part of the mashup but then when the movie didn't do very well they decided to just jettison it anyway. And, and, you know, I agree with Steve. And I've always said this. 
you know, even before I embraced my monster kiddom wholeheartedly, I've never thought Dracula should be a romantic character. He's dead. He sucks your blood. He's probably got terrible breath. He's not romantic. So I I just, I've always had a problem with that. As far as making Dracula the hero, I think if you go back and look at some of the Vlad the Impaler or Vlad stuff, if you go back to the original history, you might be able to see like a a Robin Hood-ish like story or or something like that. that, Well, maybe not Robin Hood's the best way to put it, but there was a, a movie on the USA Network in 2000 called Dark Prince, the true story of Dracula. And Peter Weller's in it, as is Roger Daltrey. Um, <laughs> I have that. I haven't watched it yet. Though. You know, the first time I saw it, it's low budget. But I was fascinated by it because they do present Vlad as this guy who helps his troubled people and, and leads them in their revolt against the tyranny of Turkey or whoever. Right. And it, it's interesting. But right. that's not the Dracula story. The historic Dracula is a really interesting character in it. When McNally first came out with their In Search of Historic Dracula yes. book mm-hmm. in the 70s, that was really fascinating. And I'm sure that that influenced or the the talk around that, even if it may not have been published right at, before it, I'm sure that that also influenced Dan Curtis, who thought, oh, this would be kind of cool to relate him back to the historical figure, and then I'll use this uh, this Barnabas angle on him so we can make him more interesting and sexy and stuff. And that's that's all good as a, a choice for an individual movie. But then when suddenly now all Draculas are the Vlad the Impaler, and all Draculas have a lost love, then it's not really Dracula anymore. Then it's some kind of new conflation of all those elements. And I I just don't see the need to do it. Right. So even though in the individual film, going back to some of the Dracula legends, you know, the Vlad the Impaler legends, and then using those, that, that may be fine in Dracula Untold or in the Dracula with Plants, it's not actually Dracula, and, and it's not the Dracula that we grew up with. It's not the Lugosi Dracula, and it's not the Christopher Lee Dracula, who, although there is an animal magnetism and sexiness about Lee's Dracula, he's the bad guy. He's very clearly There's no the question. Bad guy. No question. He's the villain. He's the black cat. There is no question. You don't want to be involved with him, and if you do come to him, well... You're going to die. You've made some pretty poor choices to get to that spot. <laughs> right, absolutely. My hope is to, with Christian horrors, to return some of these monsters to their roots, though uh, Though I will tell you that Dracula is not in the first book. And that's okay. Yep. It's totally okay. And this actually kind of bleeds into the, the reason number three that Steve posted, because Universal totally blew the Dracula relaunch, so much so that they're now ignoring it and launching with a mummy reboot. He couldn't see waiting for them to do it right when he could do his own. All right, so let's talk about the Mummy reboot. They're in production now, and it stars Tom Cruise. I'm actually hopeful for that. You know? You know, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I do know that I've tended to really enjoy Tom Cruise's movies, whether he's been doing kind of action movies or comedy movies or his two science fiction films that he did fairly recently. I like them both. You know, both Oblivion and Ed, Edge of Tomorrow, I, I really enjoyed. So we'll see where they go with this. I just hope there's a scene in which he's running. <laughs> I'm sure there will be a scene. In which <laughs> there's actually a guy in, in Hollywood who teaches you how to run for the movies. And really? Tom Cruise, I think, is one of his, his prime protégés. Yeah, there was <laughs> – I don't remember who it was, whether it was it was either Tom Cruise or um, it was uh, – oh, shoot, the guy that plays Bourne, Jason Bourne, or – and it may have even been one of the actresses that was in one of these things that mentioned it, that there's a guy that teaches you how to run for the movies. And there's kind of a very specific way <laughs> that you run for the movies that makes it look like you're running flat out as fast as anyone can wow. run. But anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I hope it turns out okay. And Tom Cruise is not the mummy. You know, he's the archaeologist character, the Egyptologist character that runs into the female mummy, which will be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And and female mummies are the, something that I think is is underused. Oh and, man, you know, people know that I love my mummies, and I don't. I'm not going to go as far as saying it's a fetish, but you give me a good female mummy, right? You know, wrap somebody up, and you know, I'm I'm good. 
and, and people, you know, people that have been listening a long time or, or have been following my career will know that um, I worked on the original Chill game back uh, with the original Pace Setter people, and we did a, a creature feature game in which you got to play the the monsters. And one of the characters that we were, when we were playtesting that one of the characters that that was uh, prominent in the playtest was a female mummy who was uh, just awful. <laughs> We did terrible things as the female mummy. She was, uh, but in terms of films, there just aren't that many. The one that pops into my head is a TV movie called The Cat Creature. Anyway, there just aren't that many female mummies, so I'm intrigued, you know, and I've had stories planned with female mummies in them for a, a while. And in fact, even my canoe cops kind of has a canoe cops versus the mummy, which mm-hmm. is being serialized now, has uh, kind of a, a female mummy in it. But we'll see where they go with it. It could be terrific, but it could be Dracula Untold or the previous Wolfman, which I had different problems with. But there's uh, a Hammer's Blood from the Mummy's Tomb is a female mummy type. Yes, not yep. not in the same sense where it's all wrapped up and you know aged or whatever. But right, know. he who is buried here shall henceforth have no name. Shall cease to exist in the minds of man as she has ceased to exist in life. For thousands upon thousands of years, she lay there, perfectly preserved in all her beauty, in all her evil. the centuries to another time, to another place, she is back amongst the living to claim all that is hers. You're going to kill me? No, 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 no! To threaten those who woke her from her eternal sleep. Over life, over death. Who are you? It was her, as large as life, standing over there. No, it happened. You have to help me. You know its power. I have no mind left, no will. In the name of Terah, she is back. To destroy those who helped to raise her evil flesh and blood from the mummy's tomb. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that, but do I trust them to do it with the way that they've been talking about making it like the Marvel Universe thing? Well, I mean, come on, DC has been trying to imitate the Marvel Universe, and they haven't been doing so well, and they actually have superheroes. So why in the world you would think you would want to do this with the monsters, I'm not sure. Yes, shared universe, no to superhero-like. Well, and I think reason number four is pretty obvious, too, based on our conversation here. Reason number four, he's writing it because he loves monsters. Really? Really? No, no, I'm lying. (laughs) (laughs) I hate them. And he loves monster rallies where all the monsters get together and fight at some point. Who doesn't like Frankenstein versus the Wolfman? We need more of that. I agree. I would love to, I love the idea of them all coming together. And you and I were talking in a conversation, I think it was with with Michael Ledgy on Facebook, Dr. Drek, about Mm -hmm. the Jeff Roven book, Return of the Wolfman. Which I have not been able to find because it's... Oh, it's so expensive. It's a collector's item, but it's worth every penny. One of my favorite things about that book is that it, in the course of like one or two chapters, it wraps up the entire classic monster movie cycle and connects them all. It, it even goes as far as saying that the Abbott and Costello characters in all of the Meet the Monster movies are really the same Abbott and Costello. They just ended up changing <laughs> their name and moving because they had such a terrible experience at this other place. 
But Jeff Rovin is one of those guys that's done a lot of work on mm-hmm. researching superheroes and monsters and all that kind of stuff. And he's written a number of really excellent kind of encyclopedic books about such things. So I'm not surprised that his book would be really good. I just don't want to pay 50 bucks for it. It's a, it's a paperback, right? Yeah. If you are out there and you have one you want to sell to me for $20 or less, private message me on Facebook or wherever, <laughs> and I'm, I'm totally there. But I'm 50 bucks. Oh, man, that's a long way to go for a paperback. It is, but, you know, like I said, I, I think it's worth it. And I mean, he, even, <laughs> he even ropes the, the creature stuff in just briefly, even though they're not really in the film. It's it's just a great way to put it together. So I'm hopeful that we see something work for me out of the Universal films, but I know if it doesn't, I've got Dr. Cushing's waiting for me. So One of the wonderful things about being a novel writer is that you can actually go in and do a lot of deep, backstory stuff that people may not see right away or may not see ever. And so you can do a lot of planning. And in the same way that I did with like Kaiju Attack, I didn't just say I'm going to do this for one book or one story. I went in and I laid the groundwork where I could do multiple stories. And I do hope to do another Daikaiju Attack book or four at some point in the future, depending upon, you know, obviously there are economics involved and getting people to support this stuff. But the Dr. Cushing cycle starts with Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors, but then there are at least three more, probably four or more other possible books in the series, all of which will feature more monsters from the canon than I can fit in, reasonably fit in one book. So if, if this one does well, and I hope it will, then there will be another and there will be another, and they will all be connected by all the underlying work that I've done so far, which is what Universal should be doing, but I'm not sure they are. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, we've got Johnny Depp lined up for The Invisible Man, so we'll see how that turns out. As long as they don't shoot it in Australia, I'm sure he'll be fine there. And, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much relies on the directors and the actors and stuff. I it mean, really it, does. It would really help if they had a, a great story team underlying all of this. And and we all know that some of what we take for the classic Universal movies was basically the result of luck and time pressures and the studio system and that kind of stuff. And in some ways, that's harder to replicate. And there certainly there are, are seams and cracks and things that don't quite match up continuity-wise between all of those movies. But the overall impression is that they're all kind of moving forward from Frankenstein all the way to the House of Dracula. And it's brilliant the way they did it, but at the same time, we know that they didn't plan it all out. No, it was all happy accidents. I mean, if they, if they had planned it all out, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, has Talbot with the curse again, even though in House right. of Dracula he was cured. So, Which is why in, in my personal version of the universal thing, that actually happens before he's cured at the end of the uh, House of Dracula. That's also briefly mentioned in the Jeff Rovin novel, what happens there and why... That turns out the way it does. You're talking about continuity, though, and I'm glad you want the House of Dracula and, and Frankenstein because if you're going to bring up the mummy films. Ooh. Yeah. Spawned from the depths of doom comes the most fearful monster of the ages to strike with paralyzing terror the despoilers of ancient tombs. Here is new horror. By the master of menace, Lon Chaney as the mummy, with Dick Foran, John Hubbard, Ellie's Knox, George Zuko, Wallace Ford, Turon Bay, in The Mummy's Tomb. A creature that's been alive for over 3,000 years is in this town, and it's brought death with it. We've got to run it down. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> time-wise and ge- geography are all over the map in that right. franchise. But, you know what? The- well, and some of that's because they didn't need to. People didn't expect the continuity then that they no, expected. No, not at all. Well, although they banged those movies out one right after the other. I'm a little yeah. surprised that, you know, oh, yeah, this guy sunk in New England, and now we're down south, and he comes out of the quicksand there. I, I don't know. Right, yeah, the mummy is famous for that. It's <laughs> vanished in the swamp in New England, and now we're in Louisiana or something. Yep. Right. So, but... 
people wouldn't remember that in the 40s, and there wasn't the internet, so you had people tracking continuity. But now people do. People do care about that, and you can't be a slave to it as a creator, certainly. But on the other hand, if you've got the time and the patience and the energy, you can lay the groundwork so that all of the stuff you're working on does fit into a larger arc that can extend over a number sure. of books. And part of that, I think, has to do with the writing and the background and doing the research beforehand, which you know you kind of comment a little bit on in number five, your fifth reason, which is the fifth one we're going to talk about here, but I think you've got some more coming up on Facebook soon. Yeah, I've got a couple more anyway. The fifth reason he's writing it is because it's easier to do a really good Monster Rally story in book form than a low-budget movie. The budget and the special effects are better because they're all in your imagination. And you don't have to blow all your budget on the special effects. You can actually spend your time developing the story and creating a narrative that readers can kind of fill in the blanks on when it comes to the special effects and all that. So you can spend the time making sure you've laid a great groundwork for future tales if you want. The fact that in... Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors, I don't actually have to set dress the Chamber of Horrors or the waxworks that occupies the same building with it. That's a huge advantage. <laughs> and when the, the character that's the werewolf transforms into the werewolf, there's no makeup budget. I don't need Jack Pierce or Laura Tyler or any of the present makeup people on the set. And that just extends all the way down the line. All of that, because it's a, a book, all of that plays out in your head. And if I describe it well, you're going to fill in the blanks and make it as glorious or as grungy or as bloody and horrible as you want to make it in your mind. And in a sense, I don't have to pay for any of that. I just have to do the writing well so that the pictures in your mind are, are fairly similar to the pictures that are in my mind and that I want you to see. I think it was Stephen King that said that writing is a form of telepathy. It's putting your thoughts into written form and then putting them into someone else's mind. And I think that's really cool. That's a great way to put it. And that's exactly what happens with the best fiction, I feel like. And yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm sure Steve will post a few more of these in the Monster Kid Radio Facebook group. So head over there to check that out. I'm excited to see what happens here. Like I said at the top of this, I've been aware of what's going on for a little while. Steve's shared a little bit with me, and he and I have actually brainstormed a little bit back and forth on some of the stuff that I'm working on, too, that kind of sort of will end up being a monster rally, but in a slightly different way. And it's just exciting to see this happen. If nothing else, with the Universal rallies coming back, with putting them together, it's going to put the monsters in the pop culture again. Granted, it may not be the ones we love or recognize, but, you know, it might make some other things an easier sell. If it makes people go back and watch the Karloff and the Lugosi films and the Christopher Lee films and, and the Peter Cushing films, if the new movies do that, even if we don't love them as new movies, I think that's totally worth it for people. Because we, we need more monster kids growing up now. And when I say monster kids, I, you know, and this is no disparaging to people that are really fond of these genres. I'm, I'm not talking about slasher genre horror films. I'm talking about horror films, monster films that have monsters in them. Right. And not necessarily Sharknado. <laughs> Which, again, they all have their place, and I'm sure Steve and I no, have... I love Sharknado. We have plenty of DVDs and Blu-rays in our collection of movies that were made in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, featuring monsters, and, and we love those, but it's these movies that really kind of speak to who we are, define who we are, I feel like. I got up this morning before I logged in to Skype to have this conversation with Steve. I usually check my email first thing in the morning to see what's going on. I'm on a number of emailing lists for the various t-shirt sites just because I love my monster t-shirts. And I got one from some t-shirt company, and I forget which one it was, but the subject heading said, Classic Horror Coming Your Way. And I thought, well, that's great. I need more Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon t-shirts. I clicked on it, and Classic Horror is Child's Play. I'm like, ah... Right, or it's the hockey mask. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't want a child's play T-shirt. If you're telling me that's classic horror, you're wrong. Right. You know. And I feel like we need more of these classic monsters back in the mainstream in front of us all. And I hope to do that. And, yeah. You know, for people that that haven't read Daikaiju Attack or or seen a lot of my other work, or White Zombie, even, or even White Zombie, or Manos. Mm -hmm. What I like to do is I like to take 
the things you expect and combine them in new and different ways. So in the Daikaiju attack, you do have a fire-breathing monster and you have a sea monster and you have the kind of military forces that you would expect and you have the reporters. So you have all the elements of the classic Japanese giant monster movie, but they're not slavishly copied. They're reimagined into something that is new, but at the same time, a great tribute to what has gone before. And the same thing is going to happen in, in Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors when I start serializing it. And I should mention that the current plan is when my Patreon reaches a certain funding level, and that next funding level, I think, is it's not very much. It's only like $125 a month, and pledges start at a buck a month, and that gets you the URL sent to your email box. And for two bucks, you actually get a month in advance and get it in PDF form. So it's not very much money, but once that happens, I'll start releasing Dr. Cushing along with the Canoe Cops thing that's currently working. And in Dr. Cushing, we're going to have a lot of the classic things that you see in, in universal horror movies. And I've talked about that there will be a werewolf. There are some mummies. There is going to be a vampire. There are twin older teenage girls who are some of the main characters. There is uh, a waxworks. There is a chamber of horrors that is filled with mystical items of various kinds of things from the mirror of Countess Bathory to the pelt of the beast of Gavadon and, uh, other cool stuff like that. And there is the, the Dr. Cushing character, who is someone who obviously is named for Peter Cushing, whom we love. He who travels the world and collects these things for his Chamber of Horrors, which his twin daughters actually manage. So I think when I talk about that, you can see that those are all things that are somewhat familiar to you, but they're not exactly what you're used to and not exactly what you might get if you just did a kind of a straight up uh, a straight up fan fiction version of the universal horror monsters. It's imagined into something new and there's going to be lots of nice twists and turns and meeting the new characters and and as you read them you'll see echoes of other characters and obviously even in the naming of some of these characters there's echoes from other things, and that's meant to invoke in you a, the same kind of love that I have for these characters and situations that I have. So, Dr. Lee Cushing, spelled L-E-I-G-H, Cushing is obviously supposed to invoke the sensibility of Hammer Horror. And that's the kind of thing I try for. It's both a tribute and a continuation, an homage, and a completely original thing. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And it's exactly the kind of thing that I want to read. I cannot tell you how many times I go to the bookstore, I go to the library, I go to Amazon's Kindle listings or, or just regular listings looking for a monster story that's going to speak to me as a monster kid. Yeah, there's tons of horror stuff out there. There's a lot of kaiju novels out there right now, which is great. But I, I want something that feels, I don't, I want to stay away from the word retro because that, Right. It's exactly the feeling I'm going for, but I want these stories. If I could get a new Christopher Armin movie every six months, every three months, I'd be set. Another movie from Joshua Kennedy, hook me up, and there is one coming, listeners, so stay tuned. But, <laughs> you know, if I could get some more of those movies, if I could get some more of these stories, man, I want them so bad. Dwight Kemper's uh, novels in which Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi are running around doing stuff during the production of some of these movies, I want those. So right. I'm excited to add your work to this list of just go-to material when I need a fix. There it is. And there there just aren't that many out there. And, and the, the wonderful thing about Patreon, which is a crowdfunding platform, is that it allows me to, to get it to you immediately and directly. And, you know, there's some other rewards you can get. Uh, if you want to send me a little more money there, but but at the buy-in for a, a dollar or two dollars, that's less than a cup of coffee every month, mm -hmm. and it's going to get stuff sent to you. And the beauty is, if we reach certain funding levels, if we reach a funding level just slightly higher than the one I, I was talking about, where you'll be getting two weeks every month, you will get up to the point, I hope, where every week you'll be getting a new chapter in one of these stories or perhaps another story. We'll see what the fans like. You know, if I get to the point where I'm doing four weeks of this every month and 
the fans, instead of wanting two of Cushing Horrors and two of Canoe Cops, want three Cushing Horrors and one Canoe Cop, or the other way around, then we have that ab- have the ability to do that and to, to satisfy the, the needs that people want. And there's something really cool about getting something new in your email box every week that's like getting uh, a, a new package in the mail every week. I know I love waiting for the mail because there's always a chance that something cool is going to come in the mail. And it's it's nice when that can carry over into the electronic world as well. And this is a way to do it. There are a number of writers who use this Patreon model, and I know it works for them, and I'm excited to see it work for Steve. Yeah, I'm just starting out now. It's you know When you go there, don't be discouraged that the, the pledge levels are not super high yet. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. And, and really, I mean, Monster Kid Radio's patron has been kind of stagnant lately, so I understand. And that's only because I'm redesigning it myself, and I've been encouraging people not to get involved until I get it redesigned. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a way to make it work and to cut out the middleman and get material and stories and or whatever straight to your patrons. Right. And I'm excited to see this one turn out for you. I really am. If nothing else, you know, I want to read the stories. Right. So listeners, hook him up. <laughs> one of the bonus things that I'm I'm going to upgrade the Patreon fairly soon, and I one of the things I'm going to do is, if you pledge during the, the release of this book for more than half the book, you will get a, a final version of the ebook copy sent to you for free, which hopefully people will enjoy. So you get to see the progress, and then you get to see the final thing. And there's a couple of other perks like that that I'm probably going to add. I think I'm going to do uh, some kind of a free ebook thing when you sign up very soon, and everyone that's signed up so far will get that. And then there's probably going to be some other kind of perk when we hit certain funding levels. So there's there's a lot of leeway. And one of the important things about this is that the patronage model basically defeats the harm that piracy is doing to me and to other authors. And I know a lot of a lot of people are like, well pirates are spreading the word about your books and that kind of stuff and that's so it's all good. Well, no. <laughs> Every week now, I get uh, Google alerts that tell me which of my books are being pirated, and it's, it is a nonstop fight. If all I wanted to do was stop pirates from pirating my books, I would not actually get any writing done. It's that bad. And as a result, my my income from electronic books has fallen by probably three quarters or more. I'll just let that sink in for a minute. But if you become my patron for a buck a month, 12 bucks a year, 24 bucks a year if you want a month in advance. If you do that, it's a, it's just a, a rotating charge on your credit card or whatever funding you're using. And I get that money and you get the stories. And at that point, it, in some sense, the piracy doesn't become an issue because I'm actually relying on my friends and my supporters and people that like my work and the pirates don't matter so much. It doesn't matter that, you know, that they're giving away stuff that should be selling for, and this is the crazy part. People are stealing things that would only cost a buck or two, but they're stealing them. And that money is none of that money goes to me. And I, it, one of the most frustrating things is getting these, these little, alerts that say this is happening and then you look at the page and it's like here go here and you can download this book by steve sullivan for free and people will say on that oh my god i've been looking for this for so long and i i downloaded it and i loved it and i'm like yeah but you could have paid me a buck and done that months ago <laughs> steve and i have had long conversations about piracy and the gray markets and all these other things it's we could totally nerd out here and and go for yes, we could. another we couple. Could. Of I just thought it was here. worth mentioning because the yeah. um, no, this, this is, is one of the way- things that I'm excited about about Patreon is that it it allows people to support me directly in a way that's very cheap. And as I I maybe didn't quite explain, at the point I'm doing four weeks worth of stories every month, you're getting a new story every week. You're still only paying a buck or two bucks, and that's that's a huge benefit, I think. So support artists, support by, by the work of people you like. Don't just download it for free because you can. That's the message. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
put a nail in it, and close that coffin. So CushingHorrors.com will take you straight to the Patreon page. And, of course, everything that you need to know about Steve you can find at SDSullivan.com. Right, and Canoe Cops is running right now. Yeah, Canoe Cops is running on the Mimiverse Audiocast, monthly audiocast. Does he even have a name for that show? That's the – Patreon is supporting the Canoe Cops right now, but very shortly it will start supporting – the Cushing story that I'm talking about. And the the more people that pledge, the sooner that will happen. Well, Steve, we're going to have you back on the show down the line, of course. You know, Thanks, I want Derek. to have you back on to go over the winners of the rallies. I think that'll be fun to go through that. It will together. be. together. That'll be a blast. See how that turns out. And then, of course, we got other things we want to talk about, you know. And yeah, yeah, I mean, if we can find something to talk about Julie Adams-wise, we'll have you back on in July <laughs> as well for Julie in July. Well, there's Psychic Killer and, of course, The Creature, but... We've already talked about the creature. <laughs> you can never talk about the creature enough, man. Never enough. Never talk That's about the creature enough. You know, you know that. It's, you're, it's at the top of your list, and it's certainly in the top ten of my list. So, love that film. It's a really all good of, one. All three of them. Mm-hmm. They really are good. In fact, um, I'm going to put this out there right now, listeners, so listeners can hear this, and they can kind of hold me to it. What about the movie The Underwater City from 62? Have you seen that? Ooh, you know, I, I believe I have. But not for a long time. You want to do that one? Uh, sure. That's Amphibious City. Outer space may be more glamorous at the moment, but in terms of destiny of mankind, the future, inner space, the undersea world, is infinitely more important than outer space can ever be. For the aquanauts and their women, an amazing underwater world of comfort and convenience, but also a world of pitfalls, where every step may be their last. And nature, threatened by these invaders from above, strikes back with awesome power. always a good show at our theater. Now, on with the show. There's not a monster in it, but uh, it, it's kind of genre-ish. If it's a city underwater, it yep. works for me. I, and, you know, the creature is part of my love for all things having to do with the ocean and the water and underwater. So, yeah. Underwater city. Underwater city. Julie you and Adams I are going to do that, are we? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Hold cool. me to it. Hold me to it. I will. <laughs> all right. Again, thank you, Steve. You're welcome, Derek. Had a great time. Look forward to listening to the show. You can find him online at sdsullivan.com. You can find his Facebook page, Stephen D. Sullivan, and that's Stephen with a P-H. Or just follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Go check out what Steve's up to. If you haven't read any of his work... I highly recommend it. And not just the monster stuff. Steve's been trafficking in genre fiction for years. Dungeons and Dragons material, fantasy material. He did some superhero movie novelizations for the young adult market. Steve is one of the modern day monster media masters. I didn't five. Steve's good. Go check out his work. And if you do end up supporting his Patreon, let him know that you heard about him here on Monster Kid Radio. Mad Monster Party! Mad Monster Party! Starring Boris Karloff and, in order of their appearance, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Werewolf, the Hunchback, the Mummy, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and, in order of his disappearance, the Invisible Man. Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the least. <laughs> Mad Monster Party! Mr. Mommy! They're playing your song, honey. Let's dance. <laughs> it's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed. It's a psychedelic scary. 
with the grooviest ghouls of all time. <laughs> Mad Monster Party! <laughs> Anyone? It's a blast. White Zombie, a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. Hello, this is writer director Christopher R. Mim, the master of the Mimiverse. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio with Derek M. Cook, the greatest person I've ever met, sure. <laughs> <laughs> If you have any feedback for the show about this episode or the previous 267 episodes, you can always call us. Again, the voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. I welcome all of your feedback. Or if you just want to tell us about a monster movie that you saw recently, we'd love to hear from you. You can also email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. You can send an audio file or an old school email because that works too. Over at monsterkidradio.net, you've got this information as well as links to everything else that we talk about here on the show, Steve's website, the links to every band that's appeared here on the show. And over on the right, there's some information I wanted to draw your attention to. If you look over there on the right, you're going to find a link to the ballot for the Monster Rally Retro Awards, where we're going to honor the best in genre cinema from 1932, 1942, and 1952. The ballot is open right now. We're accepting ballots until June 9th. Again, the link's on the website, or you can just go to tinyurl.com slash rallies2016. A little further down, you're going to see the words Monster Kid Radio Gazette. The Monster Kid Radio Gazette is the monthly e-newsletter that I put out to subscribers to the list with extra content, bonus material, a column, a monster tutorial. And I didn't do it last month, but this month, the crossword puzzle will return. So that'll be coming. You can subscribe there. You get one email a month. I mean... Come on, it's free and it's full of monster goodness. Coming up next week on Monster Kid Radio, he's back. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have somebody on the show who has not been a regular guest of Monster Kid Radio for nearly three years. In fact, when I recorded with him for a show, it was before the show actually launched. I was getting some material ready to go, put it in the hopper so that I can unleash Rich Chamberlain onto the Monster Kid Radio audience. He's back next week. We are talking about a film called Night of the Big Heat, also known as Island of the Burning Damned, also known as Island of the Burning Doomed, starring Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Patrick Allen, directed by Terrence Fisher, but it's not a Hammer film. You're going to have to come back next week to hear what Rich and I think about that. We'll catch up with Rich a little bit, too, and find out what's going on in his world and where you can read and hear him on a regular basis. So that's next week. And an update about Monster Kid Radio starting next week. We've always put out a show on Tuesday, even when we were doing two shows a week. Well, podcasting is my passion. I absolutely love doing this. Give me the opportunity to podcast 24-7. Okay, well, I'd probably want to break for sleeping and eating, but I could do this all day, to quote a particular favorite captain of mine. But that said... There's real life. There's the day job. There's other concerns. So I have to change up the release schedule. Starting next week on Monster Kid Radio, we're moving to Thursdays. The new episode will be coming out late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. Still going to be weekly. It just means instead of seven days, you're going to have to wait nine until the next episode. It'll be worth it. Trust me. Nothing else changes. The RSS feed, the iTunes links, all of that stays the same. We're just changing the release date to Thursday. If you are an iTunes user, we would appreciate your review. If you're a Facebook user, we'd appreciate you liking the post, sharing the post, and liking the Facebook page. If you're a Twitter user, please consider retweeting the tweets. Say that three times fast. We'd appreciate it. Just spread the word. The more ears on Monster Kid Radio, well, the better, right? 
Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Reaper Madness. That belongs to the Seattle surf band, The Delstroyers. You can find them at thedelstroyers.com. They're also on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and Reverb Nation, and they're going to be playing live on June 25th at Daryl's Tavern with the band's Acapulco Lips, DJ Noose, and The Verb. It's a 21 and over show only, $10 cover. Head over to their website to hear the kind of music they're going to be playing and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody on Thursday of next week. Ciao. You have come to a place of darkness. Where evil creatures lurk in the dark corners of the room, waiting to pounce on their victims. Beware, beware.